When you see the life and the ministry and the words and the works of Jesus, you see the truth on display. And it is publicly available for you here tonight to look at and to examine and to make a conclusion about. We're gonna talk about this idea tonight. It is the words and the works of Jesus that display the truth of God to the world. Right, we've been talking about this. We started first with the fact that there is absolute truth. We, t- we talked about the fact that because God exists, truth is real. And then we talked about the fact that he shows us his strategy to deliver the truth to us is the scriptures. So the question is now, when we open the scriptures and we see Jesus, what do we see? Well, here's what we see. We see his words and his works. We see what he said and what he did. And when we receive the words and the works of Jesus, we see a display of truth to the world. In fact, the whole gospel of John was written so that you would be able to know what Jesus said, know what Jesus did, and decide whether or not you believe that he is who he claimed to be, whether or not he is the son of God and the savior of the world. John kicks off kind of the public ministry of Jesus in chapter two. And in chapter two, we see Jesus, it was alluded to in the video, we see Jesus use his supernatural power. He displays it to a very limited audience by turning water into wine. And then he goes into the temple and he exposes the corruption of the religious leaders by turning over the tables because they were, they were exploiting people and selling things in the place that was supposed to be for worship and for prayer. And then in chapter three, we see Jesus have this extended conversation with one of the religious leaders whose name is Nicodemus. And it's all about spiritual life and experiencing rebirth. That's where we get the phrase born again because Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so we see Jesus begin his public ministry and he's teaching about the kingdom and he's having conversations with people and he's revealing himself. And tonight, we're gonna show you some highlights from John chapter four, chapter five, and chapter six. And you're gonna need to buckle up with me because there is so much in these chapters that we're not gonna be able to cover, but I'm just gonna give you a little snapshot from each chapter, from four, five, and six, to show you the way that Jesus, in his words and his works, display the truth of God to the world. And you're gonna have the opportunity, even tonight, as we talk about who Jesus is and what Jesus said and what Jesus did, you are gonna have the opportunity to evaluate the truth on display and decide At the end of this message, I'm gonna ask you to evaluate. As you go to your cabin time, I'm gonna ask you to ask and answer the question, do you believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Do you believe that? So here, I wanna show you these three displays of the truth of God in the life of Jesus. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. All right, let's do this. We got three of them. We'll do it this way. Jesus displays the truth by, number one, fulfilling the promise of God. This is one of the main things that Jesus did when he came to the earth, is he fulfilled all the promises of God. And I want to use this little snapshot of John chapter 4 to tell you about this, because in John chapter 4, for the first 26 verses, Jesus has a very famous conversation with someone that we know in history as the woman at the well. 
Jesus was traveling through a land called Samaria that was full of people called Samaritans, and these people were rivals, the good Samaritan, exactly. These people were rivals with the Jewish people. They were totally opposed to one another. They didn't, they didn't like each other. They didn't associate with one another. And Jesus crosses all kinds of boundaries and borders in order to have this conversation with a hurting and a needy woman. He meets her at the well where she was in the middle of the heat of the day. Now, here's what you need to know about that. She most likely was at the well in the middle of the day alone because she felt too ashamed about her past to go to the well at the same time as all the other women. All of the other women would have taken a trip to the well early in the morning before the sun came up, and they would have gone in a big group together to grab enough water to take care of their household for the day, but this woman is all alone in the scorching sun because she is ashamed of what she's done. Through this conversation with Jesus, we're going to find out that this woman has a very colorful past. She has a really difficult and messy and sinful relational and sexual history. And Jesus begins to uncover some of that and the guilt and the shame that she experiences because of that. And Jesus meets her in a very powerful way and he cares about her and he loves her and he communicates to her. And at the very end of their conversation, I want to zero in on one thing that Jesus said. Because Jesus, towards the end of their conversation, he told her, I can give you living water. I can give you something better than the physical water that comes from this well. I can give you living water that will satisfy your soul. And she expressed her longing like this. John chapter 4, this is the very end of their conversation. It's verse 25, it'll be on the screen. It says, the woman said to him, I know that when Messiah, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. She says to Jesus, I know that God has promised that a savior is coming and when he gets here, everything I need to know and everything I need to have will be mine. She was clinging to this promise of God that when the Messiah, who is called the Christ, when the Messiah came, she would have everything she needed. And look at what Jesus says to her. her his answer is astounding. He says to her, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. He looks at this woman and he says, all that you anticipate all that you are looking forward to because of the promises of God has arrived because I am here. He says, I am the Messiah. I am the one you are longing for. I am the one who has come to tell you everything you need to know and put the truth of God on display for you. This is so, this is so wonderful because this is the very first time that Jesus very clearly called himself the Messiah. And the person that he says it to is not the religious elite, it's not the scholars or the political players, it's not the emperor, it's not someone important, it is a lonely, lost, and left out woman who's at a well in the middle of the day and he says to her, I am the Messiah you are waiting for. 
I am the fulfillment of all the promises of God for all of his people for all time. It's me. He says, I am the Messiah. You see, God had promised his people a figure who was coming. He promised them a prophet. And Jesus came as the ultimate prophet, the revelation of God because he is God himself. God had promised that there would be a sacrifice for sins and a priest And Jesus came not just to offer a sacrifice, but in fact to be a sacrifice. God had promised a king, and Jesus came to rule and to reign once and for all over all of God's people and to start by conquering death. This is why the Bible can say that all of the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. Jesus' life and ministry, it displays the fact that God means what he says and always does what he promises. Do you know anybody in your life who has a really hard time keeping their word? You know anybody like that? If you're sitting next to them, don't nudge them right now. You don't need to expose them like that at camp, but maybe, maybe even you had somebody like this today at camp, and you said to them like, hey, after lunch, during free time, I want you to meet me at the slide, and we will go down the slide together. And your friend was like, awesome, I am so game, I will meet you at the slide at 1.30 p.m., it's go time. And you show up at 1.30, and you look at your watch, you are on time, because you are a person who keeps your word, and that person doesn't show up. Your friend doesn't show up. 1.35, don't show up. 1.40, don't show up. And then maybe you come back the next day, and you're like, okay, friend, you didn't show up to the slide, but tomorrow we're gonna do the same thing, I'll meet you at 1.30 at the slide, you go to the slide, and they're not at the slide. Do you think you are gonna make plans with that friend on the third day? No, No, you're not gonna make plans with that friend, why? Because they won't show up. Because they do not do what they said they would do. And so why would you trust them? I've got good news for you tonight. That is never a problem you have to worry about with God. When God says he will do something, He does it 100% of the time. God is always good on his word and you can depend on him and trust in him to do what he said he would do. And so when you look to God's word and you see all of the promises that God has given, promises like he says to you that he will never leave you or forsake you, Promises like he will work together all things for your good if you love him and are called by him. He says that when you are heavily burdened, you can come to him and receive rest. He says that he will supply everything you truly need. He's given you all of these promises. And the ultimate fulfillment of those promises is guaranteed by the arrival and the life and the ministry of Jesus. The fact that God gave his own son so that you and I could be free from sin and welcomed into his family forever is proof positive of the fact that God keeps his promises. This is the truth of God on display in the life of Jesus. Jesus displays the truth by fulfilling the promises of God. There's a second display that I want to show you. Jesus also displays the truth by exercising the power of God. Not only does he fulfill all of God's promises, but he demonstrates, he shows, he utilizes 
the power of God himself. If you flip over a chapter from John chapter four to John chapter five, at the very beginning we get this scene where Jesus goes to the city of Jerusalem and he goes to a part of the city that's called the the Pool of Bethsaida. And this pool was known to be a place where people who were ill, people who were sick, people who were blind, and people who couldn't walk, people who were in need of physical healing, the people would go to this pool and they would gather around the pool because there was a popular superstition at the time that when the springs in the pool started to bubble up, that the first person who was able to get into the water would receive healing for their disease. And so this pool is filled with people who are longing to be healed and who have a physical need. And Jesus shows up to this pool and he does something amazing. Jesus initiates, he walks up to a man who didn't approach him, who didn't say anything to him, who didn't ask him for a favor, who didn't flag him down. He just walks up to him. Jesus demonstrates the fact that he has supernatural knowledge of this man. He knows exactly how long he has been unable to walk. That was this man's problem. He was lame. His, his legs did not work, and he had to be carried everywhere that he went. This was a day and age before wheelchairs, and he had to depend on other people for everything, even to get where he was going, and he was downtrodden, and he was frustrated because he told Jesus, every time the water gets stirred up, someone else gets in before me, and I have been here for 40 years, and I haven't been healed. And so Jesus looks at this man whose legs have no capacity to carry him and who's been that way since he was born and Jesus does what only God can do. Jesus looks at this man and he tells him to take up his mat and to walk, to get away from the pool where all of the needy people are, to receive healing and to go. And I know sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, yeah, Jesus said, hey, get up and walk. And the guy got up and walked and we kind of skim over it and move past. But I want you to just think about it for a second. I don't know if you have a friend or a family member or a loved one or someone who goes to your church who's been in a wheelchair for their whole life, but what happens to the muscles in their legs, it's called atrophy. They, they shrink for lack of use. And their legs, even if they had the coordination to walk, they wouldn't have the strength to walk because of the condition that they've been in forever. And yet Jesus, with all of the power of the God of the universe, uses his words, the very same voice that called everything into existence, now causes this man's legs to be made strong. And it's like he grows muscles instantaneously and his tendons uh, grow strong. And he's able to stand up and imagine him leaping around and jumping around and dancing and running and walking for the very first time in his life after 40 years of being carried around. And Jesus was able to do that with his words. Now people get very angry in response to Jesus doing this. You see, when he healed this man, it was the Sabbath day, which was the day that you were supposed to rest from all of your work And they accused Jesus of working on the Sabbath because he healed this man who was unable to walk. 
And Jesus says to them something that is a little bit shocking. He looks at them and he basically says to them, if God works on the Sabbath, then I work on the Sabbath because I do what God does. I do what God does. Look at John 5, verses 19 to 22. It says, so Jesus said to them, it'll be on the screen, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son, that's him, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Have you ever heard anybody say the phrase, anything you can do, one more time, anything you can do, I can do better, right? Maybe you've measured up to your friends and you've said, anything you can do, I can do better. Pick anything, a foot race or a a musical recital or a Uh, a mathematics challenge, whatever it is, anything you can do, I can do better. When you compare yourself to someone else like that, what's, what's happening is you're saying, I am just as strong and just as capable as you are. I can do anything that you can do, and in fact, I can do it at a greater level than you can do it. You're comparing yourself to another person and saying that you're just as strong as they are. And what's so shocking about what Jesus says here is that he says essentially that about God. He says all of the stuff that God can do, I can do. Now, maybe that doesn't blow your mind the way that it should, but I want you to think for a second about all the things that God can do. Do you remember we started at the very beginning of our time together, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. When there was nothing, he spoke, and then there was something. God has the power and the ability to create and to sustain the universe, and Jesus says, I can do that too. Everything that God can do, I can do. Now, There is only one way that that makes sense. There's only one way that you can categorize that in a way that is even remotely coherent, and it's this. It only makes sense if Jesus himself is God. If Jesus can do everything that God can do, then he is God. And that's what he reveals himself to be here. He exercises the power of God. He uses his words to heal this man's legs. And then in the conversation that ensues, he says, I can do everything that God can do. And then even in this paragraph that we just read, he says that he can do two things that are a little bit astounding. Number one, he says, I can give life to the dead. 
That's exactly how you should respond. That is an astounding thing to say. Just as God the Father can give life to things that are dead, so can I. I can make dead things live. And then he says something that's even a little bit more shocking. He says, I can judge all of humanity. You see what he said? He said, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. You ever heard the phrase, only God can judge me? Yes, he can judge you, and he will judge you. He will evaluate your life as the rightful authority over you and the creator of all things. But it will be Jesus who judges because he exercises all of the power of God. Now, there's a few responses to this. When Jesus shows this power, and when he says, whatever God does, I do, in verse 18 it says that they sought to kill him because not only did he work on the Sabbath, but he made himself equal with God. This is a totally normal response. And despite the fact that your response to Jesus might not be as openly hostile as what those guys did, you might not seek to kill Jesus, you, many of you, I'm sure, look at these claims and you think, that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. And what you're doing in your heart is you are rejecting who Jesus is and what Jesus says. The works and the words of Jesus are the display of truth for us to evaluate and we have to look at it and decide, are we gonna reject Jesus or are we gonna receive Jesus? In verse 18, it says they sought to kill him, but in verse 20, Jesus says, I do all these things so that you may marvel, so that you can be in awe at who I am and what I can do, so that you can be in wonder about who I am. And then verse 23 says this, so that all may honor the Son. This is the appropriate response to Jesus. You and I, when we see what he says and what he does, we are supposed to be humbled before him and we are supposed to give him the honor that he alone is due. Jesus displays the truth of God and he does it by fulfilling the promise of God, exercising the power of God, and one more, he does it by giving the provision of God, giving the provision of God. I remember the first time when I was a little kid and I walked into a giant stadium. I walked into this huge stadium that was uh, the site of, a, of a, a, a massive professional soccer game and there was like 10,000 people in this stadium and I was actually part of like, you know when they take the really cute little kids and they make them do the halftime show? Like they play a game or they compete at something and everyone in the crowd is like, oh, I was the cute little kid. And I showed up to this thing and guess what? Thank you, thank you. I showed up to this event and I was, for the halftime show, I was, I was like four years old and I was doing karate at the halftime show. I mean, come on, that's incredible. But I remember walking into this stadium and just being in awe of how many people were in one building. Have you ever been to a professional sports game or a huge concert and just looked at all the people like a sea of people and been like, wow, how did they all get in here? I want you to imagine for a second, what if you walked into an NBA game or an NFL game and there's just tens of thousands of people and you walked in there and they were all hungry at one time and you were responsible to feed them? 
You're responsible to feed them. How in the world would you get enough food? Where would you get it from? And how would you distribute it? How in the world are you supposed to feed this huge crowd of people in this stadium? Well, that's a little bit like what we find in John chapter six when we see Jesus giving the provision of God. It's a very famous story. And to make a long story short, Jesus sees a crowd of probably about 10 or 15,000 people. In the scriptures, it says it's 5,000 people, which was only counting the men, it says, which means that the women and children were with them were probably at least double. So it's 10 to 15,000 people. And with the equivalent of a can of sardines and a couple Ritz crackers, Jesus is able to feed this massive crowd of people. He uses his supernatural power to get them all food until they eat their full. And the next day, the crowd comes back and they want to talk to Jesus about what they experienced. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus offers them the spiritual significance that sits behind the sign that he performed when he fed the thousands of people. And he says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says to these people, because what's so funny is he fed these thousands of people, and the next day they came back, and they're like, hey, Jesus, can we have seconds? (laughs) They're like, Jesus, can you do it again? Can you make some more bread so that we can eat? And it's like Jesus looks at them right in the eyes, and he says, hey, He says, I'm not not here primarily to fill your stomachs. I'm here to save your souls. I'm not here to give you physical food. I'm here to give you spiritual nourishment. And the best thing in the world that I could offer you is not another meal, it's me. It's myself. The best thing in the world I could offer you is relationship with me. And so he says, I am the bread of life Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Here's what Jesus is saying. In a world where we are perpetually dissatisfied, right? We're constantly looking for the next meal and the next night of sleep, and the next relationship, and the next gadget, and the next possession, and the next thing, because we're never satisfied. Jesus himself says, I can give you the ultimate provision of God himself that will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart, both now and forever. And the best thing I could give to you is myself. I am the bread of life, which means I am the provision of God. Now I say all of that just to say this. The works and the words of Jesus, they put the truth on display for you to evaluate. And I just want you to think about this. We've read so clearly in God's word tonight from the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Jesus says, I am the long-awaited prophet. Jesus says, I have the power to do everything God can do. And Jesus says, I alone can ultimately and eternally satisfy your souls. The question, the all-important question that every single one of us has to answer tonight is this. Do 
you believe him? Do you think Jesus was telling the truth? Do you think he is the Messiah? Do you think he is the son of God and the savior of the world? Do you think he is the creator of the universe in a human body who is able to do the miraculous, who claims to be the only one who can save you and satisfy you? Tonight, all of us have to grapple with that question. Do we believe that Jesus is who he said he was? Because there's only two options for us. We can either reject him and turn away from him like they will in chapter six. At the end of chapter six, it says many of the people who were following Jesus turned away and stopped following him. But some of them, like Peter, at the end of chapter six, Jesus looks at his disciples just after all of the crowds have left and he looks at his 12 men and he says to them, do you want to leave too? And Peter looks back at Jesus and he said, where else would we go? You have the words of life. Peter said, I don't care what the other options are. I'm sticking with you, Jesus, because I believe you are who you say you are. Do you agree with Peter? Is Jesus who he said he is? That's the question. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for the gift of your kindness to us. Thank you that you allow us to see your son Jesus and to know him because you've revealed him to us. Thank you that you haven't left us to guess or to wonder, but you have put the truth on display in the life and the ministry of Jesus. God, I pray that this evening, I pray that we would set our gaze upon Jesus and we would truly grapple with this question, is he who he said he was? And God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would lead us to say that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that he is the Savior of the world. We believe that he's the Messiah and that he is worthy of our entire life. He's worthy of all of our devotion. He's worthy of our allegiance and our affection and he is worthy of our obedience. Help us, God, to see Jesus and to trust him. We pray these things in his name. And everybody said...